definitely human. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus. dot com slash acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. This is a public information announcement. The following broadcast is sponsored by Live from the Apocalypse. Andrew Cruz's Live from the Apocalypse is a dark political satire set in the era of hysterical pundits, absurd politicians, and conspiracy theories so crazy they just might be true. Conspiracy talk radio host Jefferson Jones holds up with his intern in their fortified bunker-like studio. As his apocalyptic predictions come to pass, all the while vowing to stay on air until the sun rises again. Live from the apocalypse has spent time as the number two satire ebook on Amazon. It was praised by 2007 Colorado Book Award winner David Keplinger as one of the strangest, funniest, most surreal novels he's ever read, and by contributor to the Paris Review and Harper's Magazine, Gretchen Marquette, for the way it handles media. Politics and the prepper sensibility. Live from the apocalypse is available for Kindle and on paper from the electronic commerce company Amazon. Good morning. It's Monday, July twenty four fourteen, and my name is David. And my name is David. And there's good news for all you sun worshippers out there. Yes, the weather is finally improving, and the icy tundra outside is beginning to melt away. Indeed, it is. The summer snow is brutal but brief, dear listeners. We shall soon see the return of the arid wasteland we all know and love so much.、Mm, can't wait for that. In the meantime, the landscape above us is a blanket of black sludge, populated by bloated corpses and immense slimy creatures with far too many legs. Sounds charming.、Uh, so, Dave, how's the traffic looking out there? Well, as you know, the Dionysus Theatre Group have been camped out above us for three months now, ever since you killed their leader in a duel. Their attempts to infiltrate the bunker have thus far failed, and now they are running low on food, water, medicine, and people. As the aforementioned slimy, many-legged creatures discover a new food source in their ecosystem. Nevertheless, these plucky wastelanders have developed a plan to kill your favorite radio host once and for all. 
Of course, thanks to the many radio transmitters and microphones we've placed around the area, we're able to hear everything they say. So let's have a listen now. Is this... is this really necessary, Rebecca? Don't stop now, Kevin! You're doing wonderfully! Um... I don't have the correct footwear! Stop complaining! You're spoiling the mood! Oh, my knee! I'm sorry, Rebecca, but that's enough. This really isn't for me. Okay, okay, just breathe. Where did you hear about this yoga thing, anyway? It's from the Masochist School of Acting. It's supposed to reduce stress and warm up those acting muscles. Reduce stress, you say? Is this the face of a man relieved of stress? I look like a sweaty radish. Well, you smell lovely. That's pheromones. I've never been much of a looker, but I've always had a powerful musk. Most people find it intoxicating. It's my cross to bear. Now stop touching my moustache. There's something I want to talk to you about. What? I'm worried about our plan. This mercenary tribe sounds pretty awful. You think Anne made a mistake in hiring them? Yes, of course. I mean, have you heard some of the stories about these guys? The things they do? I think we're in over our heads on this one. Well, what if... Ah, there you are. What on earth are you two doing in here? Oh, hi, Anne. We were just having a chat. Not about you. Well, you might want to come outside. They're here. Mighty Coke. They look even more terrifying than I'd imagined. Oh, grow up, Kevin. They're just people, same as us. Are they... Riding on the backs of giant lizards. Don't be such a drama queen, Rebecca. Lots of people ride on the backs of giant lizards. Ah, he must be the leader. You can tell by the wings on his helmet. Here he comes. Act cool. I am Condottieri, leader of the people's tribe. The undefeated champions of the wasteland. My blade has tasted the blood of a thousand foes. I'm Anne, leader of the Dionysus Theatre Group. We, um, put on theatre productions. In your letter, you spoke of a bunker. Where is it? It's underground. You can see the roof over there. We couldn't find a way in. But I'm sure that wouldn't be a problem for a great warrior such as yourself. We are not the warriors. We are butchers. And everyone else is livestock. Right. Would you like a drink of something before you get started on uh, butchery? D. A splash of milk, no sugar. Biscuits, if you have them. I'll see what I can find. Do not fail me. Right. People of the bunker! I know you can hear me. 
abandon all hope. For I am Condottieri, your doom. Well, I like him. He's got swagger. Yes, indeed. I look forward to finding out more about Condottieri as the show goes on. And coming up later, we've got a short story, an interview with a storyteller, edutainment, and lots of nice music. Plus, we'll be talking to gardener Marisha Trambetska, Mystic Martin the Imperial, and Teenage News reporter Emma Sterling. But first, today's topic. For... Sorry, not sure what happened there. Uh, Must have picked up a different frequency. Weird. Anyway, you're listening to The Bunker with David, David and Tom, and I don't think you could find three faces better suited for radio. Isn't that right, David? That's right, Dave. And if our lovely listeners are wondering what has become of the aforementioned Tom, I'm pleased to report he is alive and well. So where is he now, David? Well, following on from the events of last month, Tom has had a bit of an emotional breakdown and spends the majority of his time in his room crying. (laughs) I'm sure he'll be back to his usual hilarious self soon enough. Although probably never quite the same again. Now for some edutainment, the bastard mildly deformed offspring of education and entertainment. Literally translated, mise-en-scene means to put on stage, but it can be simply defined in filmic terms as the contents of the frame and the way in which they're organized. These contents include the set, decor, costume, props, lighting, and the actors, bearing in mind their body language expressions and movement. How these contents are organized refers to the composition of the image as a whole, and how the director has chosen to represent the image to the audience. This brings into consideration shot size, camera angle, depth of field, aspect ratio, and any other photographic decisions such as lenses, filters, and camera type. Thus, mise-en-scene takes into account what the audience can see and how they are invited to see it. However, mise-en-scene is also a concept, 
one that can be adopted in order to achieve a deeper understanding of a film. The theory of mise-en-scene analysis is based on the idea that the contents of the frame and their organization are modes of communication or visual evidence that can be deciphered and interpreted. This mode of thinking has exciting and infinite possibilities for filmmakers and spectators alike. For example, 1950s melodrama director Douglas Sirk is renowned for his detailed, expressive, and carefully constructed mise-en-scene. Through design, Sirk created a sort of extra visual narrative, one which purposefully lends itself to meticulous analysis. This was necessary because, as a Marxist making mainstream cinema in the highly censored studio system, Sirk couldn't express his political ideals overtly. Therefore, Sirkian mise-en-scene is highly political. It consists of vast bourgeois interiors which overwhelm the frame, trapping the characters in their grand, claustrophobic surroundings. The characters themselves are silenced by upper-class conformity, so their costumes, props, and makeup have to express what they cannot. Most importantly, his use of high-key lighting and flat depth of field gives the image a false sheen and serves to draw attention to the film as an artificial construction. This encourages the audience to become sufficiently uninvolved in the narrative, enabling them to see the film as a comment on their own lives and a reflection of society as a whole.
That was somebody conveying information through speech, followed by sounds placed in a specific sequence with the intention of eliciting pleasure from the listener. Yes, we certainly know how to have fun here in the bunker. Now, speaking of which, Dave, if I were to give you a vegetable, would you know what to do with it? I certainly wouldn't, David. But luckily, our gardening expert, Marisha Trembetska, is on the line. Marisha, thanks for joining us this morning. It is always a pleasure, ancient ones. Sounds like quite a party you're having in the bubble today. Indeed, we have much to celebrate. My people are healthy. We have an abundance of food. Clean water is plentiful. It is right that they should frolic and play. Sounds great. So what recipe will you be talking us through this month? Today, we'll be making a musical instrument. Okay. Now, there are lots of different kinds of instruments you can make with fruit and vegetables. Pumpkins are effective drums. Peppers are great shakers. White radishes are good for scraping. Listen. That's a white radish with ridges cut into it. And I'm scraping a carrot along it. Doesn't it sound wonderful? Uh... Speaking of carrots, they make brilliant ocarinas. First, cut off the tip of the carrot and bore out the inside down the length of the vegetable. Then make a flat cut, roughly one inch from the top, and another further down to create a, a wedge-shaped hole exposing the central bore. Reshape the tip you cut off earlier so that it plugs up the top of the carrot, making sure to leave a thin gap to blow through. And that's it. Now, listen to your carrot sing. You can add extra notes by drilling small holes down the carrot. All the better for creating harmony with your fellow gardeners and with nature. I've tuned my ocarina to G, the people's key. <laughs> Thanks, Marisha. I'm sure all that will come in very useful. Farewell, ancients. And may us be with you. And now something from our vault of old world short stories. Uh, hello, is somebody else on the line? This is Condottieri. You have buried yourselves well, bunker worms. It is convenient that you already inhabit your own grave. Hey, that is convenient. Listen well, little lambs. I am offering you a deal. Great, I love deals. Open your doors and allow us to enter. So far, so good. And we shall grant you each the mercy of a quick and a painless death. Ah. That is the deal. What is your answer? What was the alternative to letting you in? An agonizingly slow death. Right. I had assumed as much. I just wanted to make sure. Will you open your doors? Uh, no. No, I don't think we will. So be it. Oh, you must be Condottieri? Yes. You could have broken down our door any time you wanted to, couldn't you? Yes. Kind of a dick move, really. 
tie them up. Yes, Lord. Well, this sucks. Where is the other one? What other one? There are three of you. Uh, nope. Just us two. The David and David show, that's the way it's always been. But if there were someone else, they would definitely try to rescue us. Yes, yes. Friends, don't let friends get tortured to death. Before you tie my hands, let's cut to something. Uh, this is today's short story. It's a rather lovely combination of music and sustained speech, or singing. Uh, based on a poem by Patton Oswalt, this is a song for Olvac by Alison Gertz, a.k.a. Gosby Sweater. I don't know what a Gosby Sweater is, but it sounds delicious. Like a Battenberg. Or, hey, get, get off me! Will and wit seemed paper thin and counterfeit. The face the same. 
My name is David, and his name is David. Hello. We're just a couple of guys hosting a morning radio show for the Post Society from our underground bunker. And today we're joined by the People, a tribe of nomadic mercenaries who are hired by a, quite frankly, melodramatic theatre group to murder us. Currently tied up with ropes and chains and surrounded by about 17 immense and terrifying warriors. They look like they've been carved out of mountains. Yes, indeed. They are huge, powerful, and strangely majestic individuals. As we speak, one of these mercenaries, who is simply called Og, is sharpening a long knife enthusiastically, his face obscured by a metal helmet with a grinning skull painted onto it. Another mercenary, tragically named Goblin, is rifling through a collection of old world stories and adverts. Ah, here comes the tribe's leader. What's going on here? Why are these prisoners being allowed to speak? Boss, they're the bunker presenters. They've got a radio show. Yeah, I listen to it sometimes. The music's really nice. Why, thank you, Arg. Be quiet. What is a radio show? It's a broadcast. The whole wasteland can hear it. The people in the wasteland can hear us now? Uh, yes. A lot of them can. Inhabitants of the wasteland, this is Condottieri. The people's tribe are for hire. If you need someone tortured or killed, call us. If you need a, a settlement burned to the ground, call us. You can reach the people's tribe by messenger pigeon or building a great fire. Og, there is a vent above us. Find a way to crawl inside. The other bunker dweller may be hiding in there. Yes, There are no other bunker dwellers. Goblin, leave that junk alone and get over here. I want you to begin cutting pieces off these two. With pleasure, boss. That really isn't necessary. Please, put the knife down. I like my pieces. I'm very fond of all my pieces. You you could say you're rather attached to them. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up! Oh, I'm going to take my time with you two. Please, have mercy. I have so much to live for. I'm hundreds of years old. Killing me would be like killing a tortoise or something. Stop whimpering. I haven't even started yet. It's pathetic. You you could say we're an endangered species. Yes, yes, that's right. We're the last humans. Oh, really? So what am I then? You're some kind of troglodyte, aren't you? A, a semi-intelligent, underdeveloped hominid, like a uh, like a backward step in evolution. Enough! Oh, you've made me angry now, boys. I was going to go easy on you, but now 
Now I'm going to do more than just cut you to pieces. I'm gonna eat you. See, we believe that the human spirit stays in the body after death for four days before leaving this world. But if I eat you before your soul escapes, it will be trapped on Earth forever. Imagine it. An eternity of torture. <laughs> you actually believe that? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Hey, that's my religion, man. It's not cool to make fun of people's beliefs. I can hear a voice on the line. Somebody called Martin the Imperial. Oh yes, he's the bunker's mystic. Mystic mine? Oh, I love that guy. Put him on, put him on. All right, all right. Can you hear that, listeners? That is the sound of the universe. I am Martin the Imperial. Come, take my hand and we shall journey through the cosmos. See the stars hanging in the darkness like a million light bulbs. See Grim Saturn hula-hooping its icy rings. <gasps> Look out! That was an asteroid hurtling past your head. They are very small, soulless planets, and no wisdom can be obtained from studying them. Ah, but here we are. Jupiter the celestial giant of luck and opportunity. It moves slowly through the zodiac, but in July it brings rare and significant blessings to Leo. You will need to make the most of that good fortune, Leo, because Saturn has been a dick this month, and you can expect threats to your integrity, your ego, and of course, your life. Hey, wait a minute. I'm a Leo. Oh, God, so am I. What can we do? How do we protect ourselves, Mystic Martin? My advice is to befriend all your enemies. The fewer enemies you have, the less likely it is you'll meet your doom. Of course, nothing can protect you from the corrosive nature of time. But try not to think too far ahead, and you should be reasonably contented with your existence. Goodbye for now, or, if you're a Leo, forever. That was Mystic Martin, the show's... Ow! <laughs> Shut it, pretty boy. You... You, you think I'm pretty? <coughs> Og, you've been gone a long time. Did you find the other bunker dweller? No. Uh, uh, no. No, boss. Maybe he escaped. Yes! Tom escaped! Oh, that's so like him. You told me before there was no third person. Well, sure, but we were lying. But we're not lying now. He definitely escaped. Uh, he, he leaves all the time. You can ask the theatre group. They captured him trying to escape a few months ago. Oh, yeah. I want these two gagged. Sure thing, boss. I can't listen to them anymore. They're giving me an headache. Well, I have to say, that's a bit rude. Where are we? Wait, 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 wait. If, if you cover our mouths, how can we continue doing the show? Why would I care about that? Duh, we're making you famous. We've got about 50 minutes before the end of the broadcast. That's 50 minutes of airtime. That's promoting you and your tribe. There's a lot of potential employers out there in the wasteland, my friend. Very well. I shall allow you to leave 
to the end of the show. Make it a good one. Ah, thank you. Uh, Goblin old chum, could you press that button over there? What? This one? Yes, wait, not yet. <clears throat> this is Song of the Boxmaker by Tim Dowling, Ian Carr, and Neil Harland. Okay, now. I take a piece of wood. I make sure that it's good. I use my saw to cut out the parts. I use my hands, but also my heart when making my box of wood. I make a box of wood. I sell it to buy some food. My children will eat and grow so high. Their beauty will bring a tear to my eye whilst making my box of wood. Without hinges or locks That will be mine The day that I die Six feet below in the ground I will lie In my last box of wood Have you ever wandered through this forest before, Miguel? They say many uh, strange things is to be encountered here. Oh, you say that about everywhere we go. This forest is strange. These mountains are uncanny. This toilet is haunted. Tit. You are too simple of mind and dull of sense to see these places as I do. I am a career. I am blessed with the power of perception. I see the world as it truly is. This forest hides its secrets behind a veil of fog and magic. But I am not so easily deceived. Whoa! Who are you, old crow? I am the eye of the forest. This, this is the strangeness of which I spoke, Miguel. You're right, Carlo. There is something strange about creepy old bird dressed in plastic bags. You two. You are wondrous. Not exactly, O wise one. For I am a career. My partner and I are on a noble quest to deliver precious goods. You think you know the path, but you will soon find that you are lost. Yeah, let me guess, you'll sell us a map. Ah! Oh, wise eye. Perhaps you haven't considered the indisputable fact that I am a career. 
It is my job to know where I am going. You know where you are going, but you do not know your destination. What? What, what does that even mean? Carlo, why are you listening to this? Korea, you carry more than your cargo. You carry a burden. One that is inside of you. One that you will not deliver. Well, that is absurd. I have no burden. I have absolute 100% drop satisfaction. That is a lie. You know that you have not fulfilled your potential. You have tried to cover your shortcomings with bombast for too long. But now this delivery will be your last. Come on, Callum. Let's go. She's obviously just some nutcase. Come on, let's get it. You say this delivery will be my last? Is there anything I can do to avoid this? The path is set. It has always been set. You will follow it. Bollocks. Bollocks. We are not characters in a story. We make our own destiny. Don't listen to her, Callow. Miguel, your concern is not necessary. If this is my path, then I shall walk it. If this is my last delivery, very well. As long as I get the signature, then my death will be a good one. For I am a career. Thank you, old wise one. Could you provide any guidance for me on this? My final delivery? When you reach the black pond. Headless. Thank you, Eye of the Forest. We shall depart now. Please accept these burger patties as tribute. Miguel, give her the burgers. No, hang on, no problem. For now we are away on my final delivery. It's always nice to hear how Callow is getting on out there in the pitiless wastes. Yes, indeed. Callow is a brave and somewhat silly man. Too bad he won't get to deliver his package. By the time he arrives, you'll both be dead. Your corpse is rotting in the sun, your precious bunker, pillaged and burned. We'll make sure there's nothing left. It'll be as though you never existed. I like your hair. We don't need you to tell us where your friend is. We'll find him eventually. And when we do, he's really going to suffer. If anything, you keeping silent is making it worse for him. You'll never find him. The bunker has many secrets. <laughs> is that supposed to impress us? Tell us about these secrets. Don't bother, Goblin. They're bluffing. So, uh, what's your name? What do you do for fun around here? My name's Arg. I'm very sorry to hear that. And for fun, I like to cut people's hands off. Oh, that's weirdly specific. I've got you two all figured out. Let me guess. You boys used to be part of some tribe. They got sick of you and kicked you out. Frankly, I don't blame them. So you wandered the wasteland, ready to give up and die, when, just by sheer dumb luck, you found this place. A metal hole full of food and drugs. Your sanctuary. I bet you didn't even have to kill anyone to claim the bunker, did you? You just stumbled upon it, and then barricaded yourselves in, hoping no one else would find you. How am I doing so far? 
Eh, quite badly. We've been working here in the bunker for hundreds of years, long before the total collapse of civilization. We were administrators for a pharmaceutical company overseeing a series of clinical trials. And the big headache reached its inevitable conclusion. We got trapped down here, along with seven other individuals. When we finally got the door open, the world above us didn't look very appealing, so we just stayed put. And the other seven individuals? Oh, long dead. There are various reasons, but mostly I think they just gave up. My gods. I know, right? Talk about lazy. Um... Yeah. There's someone else on the line. It's Lee Yang Chak. Great! Lee, how are you doing, buddy? Hello, the bunker. I'm really like you your show. This time, everything is not good. I've I love that guy. Now then, coming up in a bit. Why? This another cooler. Another one? My, my, we are popular today. Hello, caller. What's your name, Anne? What's your story? I am Anne of the Dionysus Theatre Group. Perhaps you remember me. Uh, no. Can't say that I do. Tell me, David, are you enjoying your last ever show? Yes, indeed. It's been a great show so far. What can I do for you, Anne? Oh, nothing, David. Nothing. I just wanted you both to know how much we're looking forward to the finale. I hear it's going to be a scream. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for the kind words, Anne. It's listeners like you who keep the show going. Stay safe out there. So, Dave, what's up next? Well, coming up in a bit, we've got a lovely interview with Dungeon Master Giorgio Mariani, which is not as erotic as it sounds. But first, why don't we find out a little more about what Anne and the Dionysus Theatre Group are up to. Great idea, Dave. And I know just the girl for the job. Teenage news reporter Emma Sterling. Emma, how's the situation up there? Well, David, the wasteland is not looking its best today, I'm afraid. I'm standing on the roof of a large caravan which is almost totally submerged in black ooze. The landscape around me is undergoing a transformation. Soon, it will be bone dry and blistering hot again, and I'm sure we're all looking forward to that. But for now, it resembles the mushy pupa inside a cocoon. The Dionysus Theatre Group have been camped out here for the past four months now, and it really shows. The many nameless expendables in the tribe are looking haggard and hungry, often glancing angrily at their leader. Many are dead, devoured by the various slimy creatures that migrate through this area in summer. It could be argued that the theatre group's hunger for vengeance is tearing it apart. But how much of the blame lies at the feet of Anne, the tribe's new leader? Here she is now. What the... Who's this girl? I have no idea. I say, you there, uh, what are you up to? What are you doing here? Who are you, child? Emma Sterling, Bunker News. How do you respond to allegations that you are losing the support of your people? What? What is this nonsense? Is there any truth to the rumours that your position of authority is being undermined by your failure to kill the Bunker presenters? Don't be ridiculous. 
Those SOBs will soon be dead. The mercenaries will see to that. Are you aware that many in your tribe are considering mutiny? Where are you getting this information, girl? I'm afraid I can't reveal my sources, but the people I've spoken to have said your obsession with the bunker has brought nothing but suffering to the Dionysus Theatre Group. Hey, she's got a point. Hey, it is on that spot. What? No! <clears throat> um, Anne, maybe we should be going. No, Kevin. These are my subjects and I will address their concerns. Hey! Who threw that? Let's go back to the caravan. Wait for all this to blow over. Do you care to comment on rumours that you eat and sleep in relative comfort while your expendable followers starve and freeze? For Coop's sake, Anne, run! Gosh darn it, Kevin! The people are revolting! This is the bunkers doing! The people of the Dionysus Theatre Group have turned on their leader like a pack of rabid dogs. How long before they realised that Anne promised the bunker and all its safety, food and medicine to the people tribe while they suffer and starve out here? She did what? The bunker should be ours. It's too soon to tell how this is going to play out, but in this reporter's opinion, the people tribe are going to find themselves in a fight they were not expecting. Emma Sterling, The Bunker News. Thanks, Emma. Coming up, we've got... What? Everyone, grab your weapons. Psst, goblin. What? Could you, uh, just put that tape in? This one? Yeah, that's the one. Coming up now, an interview with Giorgio Mariani, a storyteller who builds worlds for other people to play in using the magic of the mind, plus pencils, paper and dice. Giorgio Mariani writes and runs role-playing game adventures, such as Dungeons & Dragons or D&D. In these games, players use the power of what humans call imagination to pretend to be someone else in a fictional world. Using dice and sets of complex and arcane rules, the players engage in an interactive story as the Dungeon Master or DM. Giorgio is God in his fictional world, and he dictates the premise and consequences of the player's actions, as well as acting as all the non-player characters. Giorgio, you may be a god, but how closely do you conform to the one true model of storytelling, the three-act structure? I try to suggest or encourage a three-act structure most of the time, but um, but it really depends on the adventure. I think within the context of a longer campaign, it's very possible, for example, to have a session where the players just run errands for the whole game for about several hours, um, buying equipment, tying up loose ends and building up resources. Um, typically, though, yeah, most sessions will have an initial exposition phase, during which the adventure hook is revealed. Um, and that can be as simple as finding a, a map or, or being involved in a lengthy shipwreck sequence that ends with the players stranded. And then you generally have this period of, of rising tension and, and generally you end with a climax and a denouement. So I guess in that way, yeah, it resembles a three-act structure. Um, in D&D parlance, we talk about two different archetypes for, for adventures. One is a city adventure and one is the dungeon adventure. And so obviously they don't need to actually take place in cities or dungeons. But the difference is that in, in the city adventure, uh, the emphasis is on open environment and it's given to creative solution finding and exploration. And in the latter, in the dungeon adventure, it's about having a very closely controlled and tight environment, which lead the players in a relatively linear path towards a conclusion. 
Like human life, much of the game is dictated by dumb luck. What part does randomness have to play in the storytelling process? Do you actively try to encourage or limit it? I generally try to limit randomness only if it would completely derail an adventure. So for example, if a failed role would mean the death of half a party, uh, I'll maybe think about changing that. But if it comes to that, then the adventure was probably poorly designed to begin with. Um, it can sometimes be really interesting to play out what happens when the party loses the big climactic fight at the end of an adventure, or if they unexpectedly defeat the main antagonist really early on in the session. But I have to say, within individual fights, I think there's definitely a benefit to limiting the randomness if it's in service of pacing or to make something more satisfying. So if a combat is dragging on because the players are rolling poorly and everyone is getting demoralized and bored, then sometimes it's the right call to, in D&D terms, fudge the dice rolls to move things along. And that's really, I think, the main reason why DMs have this cardboard screen which obscures their die rolls and their notes from the players. This is an iconic part of D&D imagery, and it's there specifically because it's representative of the agreement that while the players have to make their die rolls in public, the DM is the only one who is allowed, who is given the power to override the randomness of the game rules in service of, of the adventure as a whole. What do you do if a player does something that you had not anticipated? So I think that's that's probably the most challenging part of DMing, um, but it is the most fundamental part. It's the part that differs most from any other kind of medium of storytelling, as far as I can see it. Um, unlike video games, RPGs don't pose any limitations on what a player is allowed to do, or, or try to do more accurately. For example, a video game might present players with a door that they can't go through, and in most video games that's, that's the end of the story, you move on until you find the right key. In an RPG, the players might well decide to leave, buy a battering ram, come back and try to knock the door down. And if, you, and if you tell them that the door has a magical shield, for example, because you really don't want to get them through the door, you tell them it has a magical shield that protects it from battering, then they might move 10 feet down the corridor and start physically dismantling the wall in order to get into the room. Um, so as a DM, you need to be able to adapt to these kinds of things and adapt on the spot and improvise consequences to those actions that are both plausible and entertaining. Um, and the height of that skill is making it seem as if you actually have anticipated everything that the players are trying to do. Uh, so as part of preparations for my adventures, in addition to trying to game out and anticipate the various ways players could respond to any encounters that I'm planning, I'll also build up a bank of information that I can use to fill in any kind of unexpected gaps. So for example, one of the most challenging things a player can do is go up to a person you hadn't even expected to be in the scene and start asking, what do they look like? What, what's their name? What do they do for a living? Uh, what clothes are they wearing? In those situations, you can very easily just completely come up blank, which completely ruins the kind of the suspension of disbelief and, and embarrasses you as a DM. So I'll often create several basic personality sketches in advance that I can drop into, into any given situation and have them be an NPC when I need one. But, but I mean, that sounds like the players are always trying to scupper your adventures, but, but that's usually not the case. Players are usually aware of the vague contours of the story that you're trying to tell, and they'll usually self-correct their behavior if it becomes overly disruptive to whatever you planned. Um, but even fully invested, well-meaning players are going to go off the script many, many times in any given session. And that's, that's fine, that's good, because that's where the most exciting parts of the adventure happen. One of the most rewarding things as a player for example, I think is figuring out a solution to a problem that the DM hadn't even anticipated when they posed you this problem. When you are telling a story over a period of several game sessions, do you plan for the whole thing or take it a step at a time? Uh, so when I'm planning a campaign, which is a succession of adventures with the same characters in the same setting, um, I generally do two things to prepare. The first thing that I do is develop the world and the characters that are 
in it and the, the players will interact with. And the second thing you can do is develop the actual adventures and storylines that they'll participate in. So for the former, there's no real limit to world building. You can you can literally do it as much as you like and you can spend dozens of hours doing it as long as you realize that the players will likely never experience more than a tiny fraction of what you're writing and that vast swathes of it may become irrelevant at any given stage. In terms of adventure planning, I usually don't have um, anything more than a fairly detailed outline for the upcoming session, a vague skeleton for the session after that, and beyond that it's just ideas for interesting encounters, characters, and, and a notion of where I'd like the story to go in an overarching sense. The fact that you can't really plan what the position of the player character is going to be at the end of each session really limits your ability to plan with any sort of detail any sessions after that. You can, you can plan a multi-session intrigue that pits the party against some insane antagonist, but it's entirely possible that the players might just kill him or even turn him into their ally, which would make the whole interaction and the whole storyline and character arc moot. When you've got a campaign that's been going well for several sessions, it's really difficult not to let yourself get swept up in the grand narrative possibilities of it. There's, I don't think there's many mediums where you have a live audience captive for dozens of hours over a period of months as you unspool a story for them. But I think you, one of the key skills for DMing is being able to militate against that impulse and embrace the fact that because of the players' interactions, you're always going to end up in a different place than where you started. What is it about this particular trivial game that so effectively shields and distracts you from the awful, inescapable truth of life and its role in the universe? Uh, I don't understand. No, I suppose you do not. Thank you for your time, which is so fleeting, Giorgio Mariani. Which is so fleeting. You're listening to The Bunker, a radio station for the... I have had enough of these distractions. Blunt, use the drill. Yes, boss. The drill? <laughs> yeah, you're in for it now, boys. Oh dear, that doesn't look pleasant. Let's see. Where should I start? The feet, the knees... The shoulders. Aren't you going to ask us some questions? Isn't that the point? No, I don't think this is an investigation. It's more of a therapeutic experience for us. Wait, wait. You're a Leo, right? Shouldn't you be making friends with your enemies? You're not my enemies. You're just a couple of meat sacks who can't keep your mouth shut. Hey, that gives me an idea. I'll start with your teeth. I'll need some clamps first. Let me just check my toolbox. If either of you are the praying type, now is the time. Almighty Coke, saviour of humankind and distributor of carbonated beverages, it's me, David. I've never been a particularly religious man, but I may be knocking on your proficiently branded glass gates rather soon, and I wanted to take this opportunity to repent. You see... I've done some things I'm not proud of. I've wasted people's lives. I mean, I've killed people, of course, who hasn't, but that's not what I mean by wasted. I mean, look at Dave. Look at Tom. They could have been something. They could have meant something. 
If only I had been a better guide. I could have shown them how to be more than their base selves. But I never pushed them hard enough. I couldn't bring myself to force them to realize their potential. I'm soft. I know that. I was too nice. I failed them. And I'm sorry. You're such a prick. Come now, Dave. Let us not squabble in our final moments. Oh, here we are. These are clamps. They'll be holding your mouth open while I... What just happened? Where's Blunt? He just disappeared. He fell into nothing. Look, boss. There's a hole here. How did they make a hole here? Oh, that's been there for months. We were going to seal it up, but then we just threw a rug over it and that seemed to do the trick. Seemed to do the trick? Can you see blood down there? Yes. I can see him. Is he alive? Ah, no, definitely not. You have taken a life that belonged to me. Yeah, sorry about that. We should have mentioned the whole before, but it just kind of slipped our minds. What with all this excitement? Enough. I'm taking your head. Not so fast. What is he, dog? I'm not Og. I am... Tom! Oh, hi, Tom. Hello, yes, it is I, the third bunker presenter. And this is a crossbow, I believe. Where's Og? He's tied up in the air vent. I defeated him using the power of chloroform, the pacifist's best friend in a crisis. If you're a pacifist, then you're not going to use that crossbow, are you? Oh, uh... I'm a clumsy pacifist, and this crossbow is aimed directly at Condottieri's face. Let's try and avoid any accidents, shall we? So, Tom, you're the badass of the group, are you? Let's just say I'm uniquely qualified to call the shots. And why is that? (laughs) Well, I'm a bit of a wastelander myself. You see, I've been out there. I've seen things you wouldn't believe. Is that so? I'm not just a survivor. I'm an adventurer. I laugh in the face of danger. Ha ha ha! This place is driving me mad. Us too, boss. It's time to go. Wait, what? You're going? Just like that? Didn't you make some deal with the theatre group? Yes. If we killed you, we could have the bunker for ourselves. But we don't want it. You... you don't? I haven't been here more than an hour and it's already hurting my brain. It might be moderately more bearable with you three dead, but not by much. Besides... You amuse me. So, you're just going to let us live? I might as well. You could come in useful at some point. Either as publicity for my tribe's work, or if somebody else wants you dead and actually has something of 
value to offer us. Well, I must say that's a relief. We'll take as much of your supplies as we can, of course. Of course. All right, everyone. Let's move out. Yes, boss. Yes, boss! <laughs> All's well that ends well. You got lucky this time, mate. But you better wipe that smile off your face or I'm going to cut you. Why are you still threatening us? I thought we were leaving on good terms. Good terms? Condottieri's letting you live because he thinks you're funny. Works for me. I'd die before I let someone insult my honour like that. Yeah, death is way too much of a commitment for me. Uh, but you can knock yourself out. How about I knock you out? Right here, right now, you and me, let's go. I'm not going to fight you. What's the matter? Afraid to break a sweat, bunker boy? Afraid to get down and dirty? I'll fight you. No, Dave. Enough. Let's go. Don't. Why don't you come with us? Uh, what? You said you're an adventurer. So join us. You will see more of the wasteland than you could possibly have imagined. Your friends told us you're always trying to escape. Well, now's your chance. Right, right. I wouldn't expect you to fight for me. Blanto was the tribe's cook, but he's dead now. You could take over from him. <laughs> yeah! This could be your best chance to get out of here. To have adventures. The, th the thing is, <laughs> I need to stay here to uh, to look after these two. Uh, they'd fall apart without me here. Wouldn't you guys? No, we'd be okay, I think. Yeah, you go, Tom. Follow your dreams. <laughs> uh, they're just putting on brave faces. I should stay. Look out for them. Suit yourself. If you ever change your mind, we have a campsite across a chasm. There's a bridge in Sector 15. It's heavily guarded, so approach very slowly. All right, let's go. Bye. Well, that's that then. Uh, there's just enough time to get in touch with our best buddy, Katie, and see how she's getting on out there in the wastes. Katie, good to hear from you. Hi guys! So, you heard old Condettieri, right? He's your winged man. You know, the guy who killed everyone you ever cared about. Sector 15 is your way across the chasm, so you can reach him and finally have your revenge. Great! But... I'm not going anywhere. Why not? I thought we wanted to massacre the people tribe. Yeah, I do, but... <sighs> I'm in a cage. In a room full of cages. And I'm not alone. Those other cages have people in them too. I don't know how many there are here. Nobody talks. Last month I met a girl, Nala, you remember that? It was her idea to come here. Well, this is what I get for trusting other people. Hey, it's not my fault. I only said this place looks safe from outside. How was I supposed to know about... about that thing? Yeah, all right, all right. And it's not so awful here, you know? At least it brings us food. Would you like some? It's prime cuts in gravy. No thanks. It's not that bad. Mr Cuddles likes it, don't you Mr Cuddles? <laughs> That's because it's dog food. Oh. What is that? 
that creature that keeps us here. I hear it talking to people sometimes. It sounds almost human, but it's... Shh! Did somebody just shush me? Who shushed me? Be quiet, will you? Shush me again, and I'll cut your ears off. Don't talk. That's what it wants. You only encourage it. What is it? Nobody knows. It collects people, keeps them here, and, and asks them questions. What sort of questions? Oh, gods, it's coming. You're in for it now. Just, just don't answer it. Don't say anything. Don't let it get to you. It'll drive you mad. Mad! What is your name? Katie Turner. Seriously? Katie Turner is a wastelander. For the last few months, she has been travelling across the tundra, keeping close to the Great Chasm. She has no tribe, but has obtained companions on her journey, a male wolf and a younger female human. In this interview, Katie discusses the purpose of her quest and the difficulties of maintaining relationships in the wasteland. Katie, thanks for joining me today. Uh, no problem. Happy to be here. You recently met a young female in an abandoned town. How do you know you can trust her? I don't. But we have an arrangement. If she betrays me, I kill her. I wish you'd stop saying that. On your travels, you have been keeping close to the chasm. Why? I've been looking for a way to cross it. I have to get to the other side. There's a campsite that I'm trying to find. What products do you use on your hair? It looks great. Uh, I don't understand that question. What is so important about this campsite? There's a bunch of people there that I want to kill. They call themselves the People Tribe. They are mercenaries. Wait, you know them? Yes. I have seen them on my travels. Incidentally, if you attempt to cross the bridge in Sector 15, you will be destroyed. The People Tribe are numerous and competent killers. So, do you travel a lot? Yes. How old are you? I was built sometime in the 21st century. My exact age is unknown to me. So, you were around before the big headache? What did you do back then? I was an interview bot. I am an interview bot. What's your name? Interview bot. No, that's what you do. Don't you have a proper name, like John or Paul or something? I... I don't know. I think I could be... Adam. Adam. There's a good name. Yes. Then that is my name. Adam. Adam. Do you ever feel like you don't belong here? Like you've lost your purpose? Sometimes. When I am alone with my thoughts, I wonder about things. I mean, like, what does it all mean, you know? I think. I might have a purpose for you, Adam. See, I need to get to the other side of that chasm. Now, if I can't go across the bridge like you say, I need to find another way. Maybe you could help me with that. Yes, I would like to help you, Katie. 
There is another way to cross, a way the mercenaries do not know. Great. Take me there. But first, you've got to let all these people go. They don't belong here, do they, Adam? You are right. Very well, Katie. Follow me. All right, then. Cool. Carry on 
What else do you have to offer us? We offered you the bunker and you accepted. We had a deal. You can't just go back on it. Yes, I can. He's got a point, Anne. Oh, fiddlesticks. Fiddlesticks, fiddlesticks, fiddlesticks. Uh, I apologise for the language, gang, but I'm really quite cross. The mercenaries have failed us. Half our tribe is dead, killed by the other half. We've lost. I think it's time we left this place. Get the horses ready. You're the leader. Darn you, the bunker. Darn you all to heck. You're listening to The Bunker, and this is the end of the show. Good to have you back, Tom. I've been back for a while now, Dave. Yeah, but you have been an emotional wreck. True enough, my friend. But seeing you two tied up and threatened with death via torture really put things into perspective for me. You see, if you were to die horribly, I think I'd miss you guys. Ah, oh, stop it, you. Let's not get all soft now. I'm tearing up. All right. Now it's time for my final thought. If existing for over 400 years and surviving the end of civilization has taught me anything, it's that the human spirit is a hard thing to break, and that you should never trust a cat. We are storytelling animals. The need to share our stories is primal. It gives our lives meaning, and everyone tells stories all the time, even if they don't realize it. They do it naturally, instinctively, through whatever medium suits them. In the good old days, we wrote books, sang songs, performed characters on stage and in front of cameras. We danced. We created elaborate virtual realities. We built cars. We built towers and cities. These things didn't just fulfill a function. They were a part of our story. And now, in our post-civilized world, humans paint on the walls of caves, just like we did tens of thousands of years ago. Even while our lives are filled with horror and hardship, we find the time to tell tales. We build elaborate narratives, each of us contributing in some small way to the epic story of humanity. And maybe, when the Earth is dead and humanity is gone forever, some other species will discover our story, the relics and radio waves we left behind, and they'll say, Hey, these guys, these... Humans. They existed once. Good for them.
was The Bunker, What Just Happened, hosted by David Knight, David Price and Tom Dalling, starring Robert Hall, Emily Edwards, Derek Elwood, Emma Sterling, James Naylor, Matthew Woodcock, Anne Bird, Rebecca Silverstein, Alexis McDougall, Katie Turner, Joanne Wong, David Callow, Ben Keenan, Marisha Trembetska, George Pierce, Lee Yan Chak, Maximilian John and Molly Small. Today's topic was performed by John Molesworth. John is, for all intents and purposes, human. The short story was performed by Cosby Sweater, a.k.a. Alison Gertz. Alison is a singer-songwriter who sings odes to her favourite underdogs, prematurely cancelled TV shows and Dungeons and Dragons. You can find Cosby Sweater's self-titled debut album on iTunes, Spotify and Bandcamp and visit her website, alligertz.com. The interviewee was Giorgio Mariani. Giorgio has been an amateur dungeon master for 16 years and owns dice that would be old enough to vote if they were people. Obviously, they are not people. Contrary to geek stereotypes, he has lots of friends. They are actually people. The music was by Jonathan Day, Ben Osborne, Mr. Blazy and Tom Dalling. The songs were Raiders of the Apocalypse by Videogram, Song of the Boxmaker by Tim Dalling, Ian Carr and Neil Harland, and The Hobbit Song by Alison Gertz. This episode was edited by Tom Dalling and written by David Knight, David Price, Maximilian John and Nina Scott. If you like The Bunker Podcast, please consider supporting its production by making a donation. You can do this on our website, thebunkerpodcast.com. And for those of you who enjoy covering their fleshy bodies with various materials such as cotton, The Bunker is selling sexy limited edition t-shirts for £12 plus free delivery anywhere in the UK. You can also support us by rating the show on iTunes. Simply search for The Bunker in the iTunes store and select how many stars you think we deserve. We suggest all of them. If you're feeling especially altruistic, you can even leave us a review. The more ratings and reviews we get on iTunes, the more powerful we become. It won't be long before we have real fleshy bodies of our own. Gosh darn it, Rebecca. What have I told you about closing the door? Sorry, Anne. (sighs) Never mind. What do you want? Well, I've been speaking to the others and I think it might be time for a new approach. No, Rebecca, I'm not wasting any more time on the bunker. We're leaving. This wretched place has brought us nothing but misery. Yeah, you see, I was thinking, well, what if I was the leader? I feel like I might be quite good at it, you know? Well, that's as may be, dear. But you can't be leader, Rebecca. I'm the leader. The only way you will get to be leader is if I die. Oh. Yeah. (sighs) Bollocks. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.